DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from Dr. Lillis's lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's an author of several books, including Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation on Prayer, and Fire from Above, Christian Contemplation and Mystical Wisdom. In this particular series of conversations, we will focus on the spiritual writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and in particular, her retreat entitled Heaven in Faith. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. The second prayer on the third day, can it be any more powerful than the first? This one is is a um, is actually some very strong medicine, and so I'm glad we're kind of taking a little bit of time with it. And I invite people to think about what it says. It's very beautiful, but it's, these words are very difficult words to hear as well. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. St. Paul comes to bring us a light to guide us on the pathway of the abyss. You have died. What does that mean but that the soul that aspires to live close to God in the invincible fortress of holy recollection must be set apart, stripped, and withdrawn from all things in spirit? This soul finds within itself a simple ascending movement of love to God. Whatever creatures may do, it is invincible to things which pass away, for it transcends them, seeking God alone. Quodidie morior, I die daily. I decrease. I renounce self more each day, so that Christ may increase in me and be exalted. I remain very little in the depths of my poverty. I see my nothingness, my misery, my weakness. I perceive I am incapable of progress, of perseverance. I see the multitude of my shortcomings, my defects. I appear in my indigence. I fall down in my misery confessing my distress, and display it before the mercy of my Master. Quodidie morior. I place the joy of my soul, as to the will, not sensible feelings, in everything that can immolate, destroy, or humble me, for I want to make room for my Master. I live no longer I, but He lives in me. I no longer want to live my own life, but to be transformed in Jesus Christ so that my life may be more divine than human, so that the Father, in bending attentively over me, can recognize the image of his beloved Son, in whom he has placed all his delight. So these are very, very difficult words. She's talking about a spiritual death that needs to happen. In the writings of John of the Cross, he speaks about the dark night. And we've mentioned this before, but this might be an occasion to explore that teaching just a little bit more deeply. Mm -hmm. 
the dark night isn't the same as what St. Ignatius calls desolation, although it gets confused with that. Desolation, that is when you're not growing spiritually. Desolation is when you feel kind of spiritually attacked, can't find peace in prayer, or and you're unsettled. It, you can be desolated because of employment situations where you're kind of persecuted at work and in the midst of the persecution, somebody is able to get right at the thing that's most sensitive in your life and just kind of rip it out. And you're hurt and you're confused and you don't know what to do. And what St. Ignatius says, don't make any big life decisions at that time, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but do everything you can in prayer to fight against this desolation so that it patiently bear those sorrows. That's Something that can go with the experience of dark night that John of the Cross says. But unlike desolation, John of the Cross says the dark night is something that we should seek and we should yearn for. Because in yearning for the dark night, what we're really yearning for is the deeper encounter with the Lord that happens at night. That happens when we don't understand everything that's going on around us. When we don't understand what God is doing, when we don't feel him, there's a, an encounter with the Lord that's even deeper and more powerful and more life-changing. And John of the Cross says, even in the midst of while you're receiving all kinds of different consolations at which he showers you with so very often in so many beautiful ways, in the midst of those, yearn for the experience of God that you do not understand because it's even more life-changing. Because when we limit God to only those experiences that we understand, he will work and he will do, be able to do certain things for us. But the deeper transformation the Lord wants to wrought, he can't do until we're more completely surrendered from him and until we fall more in love with him than we are in love with his gifts. In fact, sometimes he takes those gifts away so that we learn to rely on him and not his gifts. And uh, when Elizabeth is speaking about I die daily, this is what she's referring to. The Lord oftentimes puts us in situations where things that we really, really want in our life that are really precious to us are taken away from us. And sometimes they can be taken away from us in an instant. And at those times, we find ourselves questioning God, wondering whether where he is, whether he's in control. And John of the Cross would say, in those more crucifying moments, when all seems dark, it's here when you do not understand what God is doing that you should seek him even more. And Elizabeth is saying the same thing. Seek him anymore because the more you die, the more he lives in you and the more his glory, his life is revealed. And what happens in that, that kind of ends with the whole idea that as you die to yourself and live for Christ, the Father delights in you in the same way he delights in his son, Jesus. Anthony, aren't there two responses in that moment? One is to either rail and say, why me, where are you, and struggle, 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 or is the second choice, from what I'm hearing from you from John of the Cross, is to seek him out, to embrace it, and to move towards God where yes you you may be a suffering in the sense that you long for it because of the absence but it's more of a peaceful it, can I say that I mean is it more peaceful as opposed to the first alternative where we're just we just rail yeah I, I think 
I, I think that's true. And I think that's precisely the doctrine of St. John of the Cross is not to give in to either railing, you know, you can be upset and angry with it, or you can also fall into despondency and kind of give up too. Mm-hmm. And, right. and John of the Cross said, don't be despondent and don't rail against it. Don't fight against this for accept it for what it is. And as we learn to accept what God is doing in the present moment, even though it's painful and hard, it can be very beautiful. There's a, a great thinker. His name was Romano Guardini, and he was very influential on Pope Benedict. And Romano Guardini wrote a book on the virtues of the Christian life. One of the virtues he identifies is the virtue of courage, and he distinguishes courage from bravery. Bravery is what you need when you, when you go to face a foe who's threatening you from the outside. Somebody's coming at you, and you need to be brave and stand firm and not let them overcome you. Courage, he says, courage is the virtue by which you accept who you are before God. You accept your weaknesses and your failures, and rather than kind of fight those or not accept them, rail against them, as you said, or rather than allowing them to cause you to be despondent and become discouraged, mm-hmm. rather you you look at your failures and you trust God even more. And you ask God, God, how are you going to work in this? How are you going to work in the face of all my brokenness? How am I to surrender these things to you so that your will might be done in my life? How am I to die to myself? Once I told you about my brother-in-law who's a Carthusian monk and once I had the ability to talk to him about a spiritual struggle I have. I fight with a lot of anger in my life and I always have since the time I was very little. It's one of the things that I was very attracted to Elizabeth of the Trinity for because she also had a fiery temperament. And Mm -hmm. I figured if she could become a saint, there must be a way for me to become one too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I went to my Carthusian brother-in-law. I said, Father... I've been dedicating more time to contemplative prayer and trying to live a more disciplined Christian life. And you've been at this more intensely and for many more years than I I have. And so when will I start seeing myself becoming more of a gentle man, a man who isn't quite so moved by this passion that can come up so suddenly, but a man who's self-controlled and able to be at service the service with others and how long before i pass through the dark night and enter into this greater gentleness of the lord and my brother-in-law he said oh anthony you are an angry man you uh, were born an angry man and you will die an angry man you will probably be an angry man for about two weeks after you're buried (laughs) and and i you know we laughed about that and then he said uh, anthony God is saving you, not despite your anger, but because of it. And what he didn't mean was he didn't mean that I shouldn't continue to strive for gentleness in my life. But what he meant was that the Lord, his glory is revealed in our weakness. Quodidie Morior I die daily. I decrease. I renounce self more each day, so that Christ may increase in me and be exalted. I remain very little in the depths of my poverty. I see my nothingness, my misery, 
my weakness. I perceive I am incapable of progress, of perseverance. I see the multitude of my shortcomings, my defects. I appear in my indigence. I fall down in my misery, confessing my distress, and display it before the mercy of my master. Quodidie morior. And it's through surrendering our sinfulness to him, acknowledging it, surrendering our sinfulness to him with contrition and the desire to change, that his will is being done in us and his power is at work in us. And even if we don't see progress, then we feel ourselves at the borderline of being despondent or railing against God. But we choose not to. Instead, we choose to trust. And that's the key. John of the Cross and what you were saying, Chris, is so true. You need to trust Jesus with these broken places of our lives uh, and realize that even if you've fallen again and again and again, he's saving you because of that. There's something in that that gives him glory. And through his great love, he's at work and he's going to accomplish that glory. But the only way he can accomplish it is if you completely trust in him. And this learning to completely trust in God, to completely surrender to him, this is the great moment of dying daily, of letting go of our control in life and surrendering to what God is doing in our life. It really does go down to that word, isn't it? Surrender. Because, I mean, even in surrendering, I mean, he surrendered his life. That Jesus surrendered his life, that we too have to surrender our very selves. And, And maybe in some cases, the saints have done that unto death, literally. That even being able to position to control how they will die. That's the great thing. The word witness and the word martyr are the same. It's the same word. To be a martyr is to be a a witness. And what are we witnessing to? Why do we celebrate the holiness of the martyrs? Because they trusted God all the way to the end. And when you trust God all the way to the end, it means trusting him in the face of the mystery of death. There are three things that everybody needs to deal with in their life. The first of these is we have in us a desire for God. If we never try to deal with that desire for God, we'll never really achieve very much in this life. We'll never really come into the happiness that God would want us to have. We will be restless. and, And a lot of people pursue this desire for God in destructive ways. And that's why God in his great love for us revealed himself to us through Jesus so that we can find him in a way that that fulfills our humanity. The second thing that people need to deal with in their life is guilt. I hear a lot of people sometimes leave the church and they complain, well, when I was in the church, I felt guilty the whole time I got out of the church so I didn't have to feel guilty. Well, here's the truth. The truth is people feel guilty all the time. What the church offers is a way to deal with guilt. And the, the only difference in somebody's life, they forsake the sacraments and don't go to confession. It's not that they don't have guilt. They have lots of guilt. They're just not dealing with it. And it's driving them in all kinds of ways. And they're hurting everybody in their life in all kinds of ways. They're inflicted with extreme unhappiness in all kinds of ways because they're not dealing with the guilt that's there. And that's why Jesus died for us, to remove that burden of guilt from us so that we could be free to love, so that we could deal with the guilt that's in us. 
And then finally, the third thing, and this is where this is all going, that everybody in this life needs to deal with is the fact that, that we're going to die. That everything that is good, noble, and true in us is subject to futility. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. St. Paul comes to bring us a light to guide us on the pathway of the abyss. You have died. What does that mean? But that the soul that aspires to live close to God in the invincible fortress of holy recollection must be set apart, stripped, and withdrawn from all things in spirit. This soul finds within itself a simple ascending movement of love to God. Whatever creatures may do, it is invincible to things which pass away, for it transcends them, seeking God alone. What Elizabeth is saying and what is in the wisdom of St. Paul is that this wisdom that they're offering us is that rather than run away from death, rather than run away from those parts in our lives that are falling apart, we need to surrender to God and entrust these parts of our lives to the Lord and accept what God is doing in our hearts. And as we come into that acceptance of what God is doing, as we trust, as you said, it makes space for God to begin a new life in us. Uh, dealing with death, when people surrender, uh, surrender their lives to the Lord, they find the way to deal with death. They discover a love that is more powerful than death. Mm. To die. That is something you do hear in the writings of Teresa of Avila as well. Uh, she's always imploring the sisters, you must die. It, it, it's the greatest act of humility in a real way, isn't it? It is a great act of humility. It also encompasses everything in our lives. As you grow in the spiritual life, as you uh, try to surrender to the Lord, sometimes you find yourself saying, and you want me to surrender this too? Teresa of Avila, in fact, one of the things she needed to die to in her life, one of the things she needed to let die in her life was she was very, very attached to her friends. And she had some friends who weren't helping her grow in holiness. They were distracting her from the life of prayer. Now, at this stage of the game, she had already had this beautiful conversion to God, and she was already praying. And her spiritual directors and her spiritual friends were very concerned because even though she was going deep into prayer and having all these different mystical experiences, her life was still had all these attachments in it to people that weren't weren't helping her grow in holiness. They would tell her, you know, you got to let go of these things. You got to die to yourself. You got to not be involved with those attachments anymore. And she would say yes, yes, yes when she was in spiritual direction. But when it came time for real life decisions, she just couldn't make the, the decisions she needed to let go of certain people who were destructive to her in her life and not helping her grow in her love for the Lord. And, and so she was being, she's like in a tug of war, kind of being held back a little bit. Her spiritual director was concerned about this, concerned about what it might meant. And he goes, you need to speak to somebody who really knows the truth. And he sent her to uh, Francis Borgia. Francis Borgia was a Jesuit. He had been a very wealthy man who had, um, he had a palace. He was a duke and he, he raised his family. His wife died and he joined the Society of Jesus while St. Ignatius was still alive. 
and he was in Spain, uh, kind of helping the Jesuits get established in Spain. He was actually uh, the two big powerhouses in Spain were John of Avila and Francis Borgia. John of Avila isn't the same as John of the Cross. He, John of Avila loved St. Ignatius and loved the Jesuits and was helping Francis Borgia get the Jesuits established there. Well, Teresa goes to see Francis Borgia and she complains about what's going on in her spiritual life. She tells him about her prayer and her intimacy with Christ. And Francis Borgia, he says, I think your prayer and your intimacy with Christ is very real. And I think also that the Lord wants you to let go of these attachments. And I think, though, that the only way that you'll be able to let go of these attachments, the only way that you'll be able to die to yourself is if you go deeper into prayer than you have. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go and find some solitude and to sing at the top of your lungs, sing the Vene Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit. And so she began to sing those words, Come Holy Spirit. And as she was in the middle of the song singing those words, she fell into a deep state of prayer. It's called rapture where where you are completely caught up in the love of God. And the love of God pierced her heart so deeply and so strongly that after the prayer was over, she had no more desire to be involved with any friendship, any relationship at all that did not help her get closer to God. By dying to those desires for these friends, by dying to those desires, she was able to live for God. But what helped her make that movement, that helped her die to herself, wasn't like this kind of act of resignation, white-knuckling it, and gritting your teeth. What helped her make the move was to enter more deeply into the love of God. So I imagine if someone is really struggling right now with a habitual sin in their life or something that's holding them back from deeper intimacy with the Lord, one of the most important things they can do is go more deeply into prayer and to open up their hearts to the loving movement of God. And God will give them everything they need to let go of this thing that's holding them back. Yeah, I'm impressed that in this council that Francis Borgia gave Teresa of Avila was one that w- allowed the gentle movement, really, of God's love, that Holy Spirit, to come in and help her lead her away. It wasn't so much a an act of a hard severing where he could have said, go back, detach from all your friends, leave them, don't talk to them, separate yourself. Instead, he allowed God to guide her in that moment. It was very, there's a real trust in a, in a loving leadership that was placed by Francis, giving that to Teresa. I, you know, I think that's a, a very valid and important insight to have God works in kind of these very gentle and subtle ways. One of the images I like to think about when I think about the way God works in our lives is when Jesus came up out of the waters of the Jordan River after he was baptized, do you remember that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove? And in in the movies, they always show a white bird kind of lighting on Jesus. There may have been something, uh, a white bird that alighted on Jesus that could possibly be. But the scriptures actually say, like a dove. 
if you've ever seen a dove fly, there is something uh, that is beautiful about its flight. Doves are beautiful, and there's something subtle about the way they alight on things. And I think that's what the evangelist was trying to point out, was this beautiful presence of the Spirit that settled on Christ and was visibly present to uh, all those who saw Jesus. They saw this beautiful, peaceful, joyful presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. And, and it's that same kind of spirit that we receive. It's the same spirit that we receive when we are baptized. It's the same spirit we receive when we are confirmed. And every time we go into deep prayer, if we open so, ourselves up, that same Holy Spirit who was present in the ministry of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit who moved in the heart of Teresa of Avila, that spirit moves in our hearts too uh, in these beautiful ways so that we can surrender to the Lord more and more. The act of surrender, the act of trust is really a work of God's grace inside us. By the surrender in love, we open ourselves up to his life in us. I wish we had more time just even on this very challenging but very necessary second prayer on the third day of heaven and faith. What would be final thoughts on this one, Anthony? One of the things that I think is important for the spiritual life and that comes out in this passage, and I just leave you with this, the spiritual life, we don't make progress on it as long as the spiritual life is only something that is on the level of a good wish. Wishing to have a better spiritual life just doesn't get us somewhere, anywhere at all, really. Uh, having good intentions but never acting on them is not going to give us a spiritual life. Seeking spiritual feelings and wanting to spiritually feel good isn't going to give us a deep and rich and life-giving spiritual life. The spiritual life, to really enter into it, there are difficult renunciations that we must make. We must make space in our life for God. And in order to make space in our life for God, there are certain things that we must say no to. We know what those things are as we approach God in prayer and let his love envelop us. And once we know we need to let go of it, we must let go of it. And at the same time, there are other things that God allows to happen to us that are very painful and difficult trials and tribulations and hardships. And I, I've mentioned this line from Blessed Mother Teresa once before, but I'm going to say it again. You know, if you want to be a saint, you must prepare for to make every kind of renunciation and endure all kinds of hardships and trials and sufferings. It's going to be very hard work because to be a saint is to love and one cannot love except at one's own expense. These words by Elizabeth of the Trinity today, which call us to die to ourselves so that um, so that a deeper love can take root in our heart. They're difficult words to hear, and they're words that cost us dearly. But those who are willing to pay the price, they win a prize that nothing uh, that is worth more than this whole world and nothing in this world can take away. Mm, beautiful. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Be sure to check out the comprehensive summary and reflection questions contained in the show notes for this episode. These resources are specifically designed to enhance your prayer life and to aid you on your spiritual journey. To find more programs in this series and hundreds of other spiritual formation programs and prayers, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find them within the free Discerning Hearts app 
or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.